0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, across the way, Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, another week of NFL is completing up tonight as the Broncos face the Chargers. Another week of college football season is in the books how are you doing this evening?
1: Well, I was very disappointed with uh, San Francisco's showing, but you know, week six was topsy-turvy all over the place. And um, I mean, you sound pretty good for the play going through through your house, but you better feel really good with, uh, you know, I think the Giants are tied for the second best record in the NFC,
0: right? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, five and one, just finding ways to win games. I mean, I don't want to look ahead of myself, but four very winnable games on the on the neck for the next month against teams that, you know, they could, you know, easily not easily, because I don't think anything will come easily to the Giants, but they definitely could win the next couple of games. So like it's definitely got the making of an interesting year and and not what anybody as a Giants fan was expected. So I'm just enjoying the ride. Maybe we can get Kadarius Tony on the football field at some point, which would kind of really aid uh in their offense. Uh but uh we'll yeah, talk we about We haven't seen for-
1: their ceiling yet.
0: You no, know. we haven't. And there's a lot, you know, uh, Wandell came back this week and we'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh I think I think he's gonna create some buzz down the stretch of, of the NFL, second half of the NFL year. Uh but we'll get to some NFL talk. Why don't we jump right into the 2023 NFL draft stock report for this week? I think we witnessed probably we'll see. College football pulls off these miracle games and amazing games on a regular, it feels like. But it's possible we start a game of the year uh, on Saturday with that Tennessee-Alabama game. We'll see if anything can top that. I'm not sure. They're, they're not still partying in Tennessee. My biggest question when I watch the end of that game is, where are the field goal posts right now? The <laughs> last I knew, they got them out of the stadium. And, I like, so many questions in my mind of just where do they end up? Like, who's responsible for then finding these field goal posts and cleaning them? But, you know, and, and like <laughs> – doing whatever they're supposed to do with them. But it was an amazing game. We'll get into it. So why don't you kind of get us going? Where do you kind of want to start maybe with the uh, with the stock report?
1: We'll start with the goalposts because Tennessee started uh, – the university started a GoFundMe to get them out of the river or something <laughs> like that. So that's where they're at. Well, I mean, you you, you brought it up up top. We usually start at the quarterbacks. There's two that you wanted to talk about. It's from this game. It's Bryce Young uh, and Hendon Hooker, right? So Bryce Young, I, I mean – I thought he started kind of slow. Um we saw this, you know, a couple weeks ago as well, but you know, 455 yards, two touchdowns by the end of it, you know, 50 pass attempts. Um but on the other side, you had Hendon Hooker leading Tennessee to victory, the upset over Alabama. He had a uh, 21 of 30, 385 yards, five touchdowns, uh, uh you know, a pick and and some some work in on the ground. You know, I think I think we kind of know what Bryce young is, but if there's some point that you want to go into a little bit deeper that, you know, you saw him on this game, I'd love to hear what you're, what you're thinking of, but let me just lead this off with Hendon hooker. Like has he jumped Will Levis as, as sort of the third quarterback in this class? What's his ceiling, you know, as far as draft capital goes.
0: Yeah. So I'll start there with hooker and then I'll circle back and finish up with Bryce young as well. The thing with hooker is, We don't know how the NFL is going to view the whole age thing, right? 25 years old by the time he would step foot. I don't think they're going to look at it like after the Brandon Whedon debacle, like I don't think NFL teams are going to look at him and think that he can't be a starting quarterback at the next level, like a guy that we invest somewhat decent draft capital in because of his age. I think, you know, what he's doing this year in the sec and who's to say tennessee's not riding some magical ride this year where we're going to see them face georgia and we're going to see him in more big games and if he continues to shine in those games i think people are going to overlook the age thing especially for quarterbacks because it's not like quarterbacks hit a wall at 28 or 29 or anything so it's going to be interesting to kind of see you know certain teams may knock that or dock it a little bit more than other teams. And then does that move the needle a little bit? You know, I keep coming back to, I think Will Levis has been good this year. I don't think he's been exceptional. I don't think he's been great, but then you hear people like who, you know, who does, who do have sources. And, you know, like I mentioned, Jordan Renan on the, the Giants podcast. And my guess is his sources are probably the draft people at ESPN, but M- McShay and Kuiper, like those people have ears to the ground. They hear things, right? And I think it was, you who brought up a couple of weeks ago that the CBS sports people had Will Levis as like number one in their mock draft. So like I could see a scenario where I have hooker ahead of Levis, but if people are, are, are thinking that Levis could legitimately be the first pick in the draft. And like, those are coming from some reputable sources. I have a hard time thinking that that's where it's going to end up whether or not when I do a deep dive on Hendon Hooker, I kind of see where I put him. Uh, is he third? Is he fourth? Is he fifth? But like, you know, I, I, that's I think to be determined for me, but when you look at Hooker, I know there was, I know it's the H thing. And I, I'm pretty sure there was some off the field stuff or some character stuff that maybe was also knocking him. I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about that to, to speak on it in any way, shape or form. But when you just watch him on the football field, and we've talked about this briefly, and we are going to do a full deep dive sooner rather than later on Hendon Hooker is he's got the size. He's got the frame. He's got the athleticism. He's got the ability to make plays with his legs and his arm. He can buy time in the pocket. He's tried to, I think he does a pretty good job of keeping his eyes upfield as he starts to move. Like in and his ball placement this year has dramatically increased impressed in, compared to some of the questions that were there prior to this year the accuracy so i mean for him it's just like skyrocketing his value and more games like that against tough sec opponents it's going to be hard not to catapult him and see a team taking him in the first round uh and then bryce young yeah he started out slow in that game but i do think we also saw the best of bryce young in that game in terms of his creativity in terms of making things happen uh Yes, the size is never is always gonna be a detriment, but he finds a way to navigate the pocket. He's like a problem solver slash like we talk about problem solving all the time. Like Bryce Young is one of the better problem solving quarterbacks. I feel like I've seen over the last handful of years, you know, even at his, you know, height and stuff in terms of at times maybe, you know, balls being batted down. He just does such a good job of buying time, sliding, understanding like how to change the velocity of the pros. So I thought it was I thought it was while they got the loss. I, I watched that game and thought to myself, this is why a team's gonna fall in love with Bryce Young, what he can bring to the table. Uh he doesn't check all the boxes in terms of the physical traits, but I think in terms of the quarterbacking skills, uh he's gonna he's gonna a team's going to look at him and think that he could be their guy, their their point guard, their you know, their leader who kind of makes the whole, you know, kind of the engine to their offense that they want to run, especially if it's like up tempo, spread the field, get it out quick. Uh I think that could be Bryce Young. So I walked away with that games thinking that the the traits that we like about Bryce Young, they're still there, they're very high even in a year where things have not came as easy to Alabama without those elite elite skill players. I think the only reason why they've been even where they have been is because at times Bryce Young just kind of wills them to keep that offense being as productive as it is, even though they don't have the horses like they usually have.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, that's the crazy part um, because it seems crazy to say Alabama is sort of a little bit bare at the cupboard, especially when you say in reference to – you know, Ohio State, if we're, if we're doing, you know, the young Stroud comparison, right? You know, Stroud has talented pa- pass catchers getting separation at every level of the field. It's easy. You know, everything on Ohio State, Ohio State is easy. And that's kind of what we've, you're used to seeing at Alabama, but none of these receivers have really stepped up in any meaningful way. And so it just makes the, the problems that Young is solving more difficult, which, you know, is, is sort of that catch 22. Okay. Maybe he doesn't have, you know, otherworldly um, production on the level that, you know, we'd you'd see with like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and uh, Justin Jefferson, you know, just on that magical season, right? I mean, you know, with Alabama and, and their receivers, it just seems kind of crazy that, um, you know, he's able to put up almost 500 yards and, you know, Jermaine Burton is only getting like 50 of them and he's sort of highlight name of the receiving core at the moment i mean we have a couple underclassmen there but again nobody's really like stepped up in where you could say oh that's a top 10 receiver in college football right now right and so i just think that's um that's crazy for hooker i mean i really i really have to get deep strong eyes on him i I just you can't ignore i mean we we've, we've talked about him for a couple weeks already Um, and so we're not ignoring them, but you know, when you come out and you beat Alabama and there's a, you know, half of the NFL is in attendance, I, you know, you're, you're making waves, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if what we see, you know, we, there was still a lot of love for Sam Howell last year at this point, right. Things like that, the, the landscape can really shake up and, and that that's the type of performance that's going to do it right. Levis hasn't done that at all this year. I mean, he's played pretty well at times and, and he's got some some good plays on on film and and beautiful deep ball, et cetera. But what Hendon Hooker just just did last weekend, you know, is is it put it put every you know draft nick on alert. I mean most draft nicks probably were there, but you know, the NFL is on alert. They there's a reason a half a, a half the NFL was at that game. So um let me just run down and, and why don't we take it to a couple pass catchers and you know i will highlight first that booty got over 100 yards for the first time this season that that's great to see hopefully like quinton johnston this is you know signs of more happening more integration in the offense you know and speaking of johnston he, he hit um eight catches for 180 yards and a touchdown tcu upsetting oklahoma state and you know taking you know making a serious threat for um you know the the championship for the, the conference championship there um but i wanted to we we've talked about Xavier Hutchinson as like a guy on our watch list somebody to keep an eye on guy who's you know producing i really wanted to to center in on him just a little bit so 10 catches 154 yards uh this past weekend and he hasn't had a single game this year under eight catches, and he hasn't had a single game under 84 receiving yards. I, I mean, that, he is the most consistent producer in college football at the wide receiver position to date. Phenomenal. Um, so I had to get eyes on him. Um, Iowa State didn't quite pull off the upset there on Texas, but Hutchinson was a big part of of their effort, that getting them close. Um, so I went in and looked in it, and, and so he is getting schemed up a little bit it's kind of to be expected when this player's pretty much the entire engine of your offense. Um, you know, when I saw him, it's really hard on the broadcast angle to to get some nuance, but you know, he's he's he was always kind of in a soft spot of the zone. He was always attacking the ball with his hands away from his frame. You know, really seemed he had a couple drops that that seemed a little weird, but I think that's more of a focus issue cuz you know the way he attacked the ball, I think I think he's going to be a pretty reliable hands pass catcher at the nfl level um he was always tending to make contested catches though and and that's always impressive but you know it's it's not the all 22 tape it's the broadcast angle but but what you don't see that separation you're wondering does he you know can he do that can he do that at an nfl level and that's a big question um there was one rep that you know, the angle was sort of zoomed out enough where you could just see him getting jammed at the line and and had no solution to kind of get off this, this DB. So there's potentially some current concerns there. And it's going to be an interesting profile because he's one of the more productive wide receivers this year. Um, But I think it'll be really interesting to see from a film perspective, where does he end up slotting into the rankings? Um, Because again, you know, there's production and then there's traits. And and I think the traits are what lets you become completely explosive, like uh, like we saw Jamar Chase, you know, a Quentin Johnston 180-yard game. Do you have anything to add on the pass catchers there?
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'll say is I do think th- this is going to be a weird year that you're not going to see the, a lot of the, the high-level traits guys that we've been talking about for a long time – aren't going to have gaudy stats unless they really have a super strong finish to the year, right? If all of a sudden Quentin Johnson starts dropping, you know, 150 a game, then sure. But, you know, I don't see a scenario where Kayshawn Booty is going to have some great statistical season, right? And if at some point does he shut it down? Like, I don't think it's at a realm of possibility, right? Like, I don't think we'll, I don't, even if LSU makes some type of bowl game, I don't think we'll see, you know, Booty playing in that bowl game. Uh, we'll see about some of these other guys. So it's going to be one of those things that you're going to have like the analytical people, like the people like, you know, you're just talking about like Hutchinson's going to have a tremendous market share, right? Like there's no doubt about it. Like the analytics is going to show, you know, elite, elite level production, but the traits I think are going to be whether or not. And I don't know. I I don't want to speak on him enough because I haven't put him through enough of a deep dive to, to really say where he falls with his traits compared to some of the other guys. Obviously I've, I've seen him, He's been very productive. The stats are fantastic. The consistency is fantastic, but the, where he's going to fall is going to be interesting because a lot of the wide receiver drafting, I think this upcoming draft is going to be about traits. It's going to be about how you fit with the offense, right? We've already talked about, it. we know there's going to be a ton of great slot wide receivers. And it's like, where do you pick these slot guys? Cause they're going to be there's going to be different levels of guys going in round one, round two, round three, somewhere early on day three. Where do you feel comfortable? And then, do some of these other guys develop that people feel comfortable about them being traditional X wide receivers? Like you know, George Pickett on talent alone should have been a round one pick. He falls to day two. Could that happen with Keishon Booty? I don't think so, but I don't think it's out of a realm of possibility either. You know, and then we see where you know is burden even going to declare. I I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. We've seen guys go back to Alabama who were way better statistically and traits wise than than Jermaine Burden. So so I don't think he's even a lock to to declare anymore. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think the wide receiver group is going to be the one that has the most variance in terms of people's ranks. I think it's going to be the one that changes the most between who we're talking about as being the top names now compared to in April. And it's going to be really fun because I don't usually think wide receiver. We see that kind of variance usually by the middle of the college football season, you know, Jamison Williams by now last year was emerging, right We were talking about him already. We knew he was headed, especially at Alabama. We knew he was going he was headed towards round one, but all the other guys were the, were the usual suspects, right We knew Garrett Wilson, we knew Drake London. we knew you know jihad Dotson. we maybe didn't know if he could get the first round, but we knew he was a big time player right and and the rest of the group, Chris Olave, you know like all those guys who went you know early on, we were expecting that. I feel like there's a lot more uncertainty about this group of wide receivers. And I feel like it's going to take the rest of the season and the pre draft process, the the senior bowl, the combine to kind of sort it out. And you're going to see more variance similar to how I thought we saw a tremendous amount of variance in the running back ranks last year between evaluators and a lot of people we trust. I feel like we're going to see a lot of variance in the, in the wide receivers, even in like people's like top five, top tens. I feel like we're going to see a lot of variants. So you might start seeing guys like Hutchinson and other people who we were talking about, you know, in early September, late August, those guys have the ability, I think in this draft class to emerge. Some people, Charlie Jones, another guy that, you know, who's really having a strong year, different guys are going to jump up and I think throw themselves into the mix to maybe be in the day two mix, the top 50 mix. Uh, and we don't usually see that too often at the wide receiver position.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love what you're saying there. I think it's fascinating. There's no bulletproof prof- prof- profiles at the wide receiver at the moment. So, um, you know, let's just kind of go adjacent and hit, hit the pass catchers because um, our APB got a, a hit on it. We got in a Rick Gilbert sighting this weekend. Um, got a touchdown, two for 16. Nothing, nothing fancy, but hey, you know, out there with some catches. That's great. Um, but not to be outdone, Dalton Kincaid. So 15 catches, 217 yards, a touchdown, absolutely unstoppable, just dominating. And, you know, Utah upsets USC, um, in a big match this weekend in large part to Dalton Kincaid. So, um, I think I saw somewhere that Brent, uh, Brent Keat at least was out for this game, maybe out for a while. Um, and, and it gives us Kincaid a little bit of room to, to show his own stuff, but. You know, Paul. Do you, is there anything else left that you want to say about Kincaid? Because I'm just excited that there's something else to be a little bit excited about for this
0: this tight end draft class. Because it had been pretty boring for a while. Yeah, I mean, listen, Kincaid falls into that thing you love to see the production, right? Because sometimes we just don't see a lot of college tight end production. And when I watch Kincaid, you know, I, I feel like you do get similar vibes to his teammate, who I did like in, in Keith also. Uh, I think he's got a little bit a little bit more uh, a little bit more to the frame a little bit than, than maybe like his teammate. But we've seen guys like we saw a couple years ago, Kylan Granson, went. I think he went either early fourth or late third. We saw Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech, right? Go he didn't pan out for New England, but he went in the third round. So, so I think a guy like Kincaid, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to push into like, think about last year, like Trey McBride fell to like pretty late into the round two. You know, most of the tight ends, I don't think Kincaid's going in the first two rounds, but he could easily push himself into the mix to be a top five tight end in this class. You know, it could be, you know, a pick your what you need, right? Like, no one's thinking about the other Georgia guy, Darnell Washington, as a guy who could go early but he's a really, really good blocker, like a borderline great college tight end blocker. And he's very athletic, with probably some untapped athleticism and upside that he could, he could easily push his way into like the top five mix, you know, because besides Michael Mayer, it's, it's, and, and Laporta, I feel pretty comfortable is going to be somewhere in that top five mix, but like, you know, I know I like Tucker craft, but he's coming from a small school. What, What does the NFL think of him? Uh, Jaheim Bell really hasn't had a year that I thought people expected him to. Uh, So a guy like Kincaid can push himself into the mix. I do think by the time the dust settles, we'll get a couple guys that we will feel comfortable going somewhere on day two after Mayer probably goes in round one. Ari Gilbert still be in the wild card. He could still go, you know, anywhere from early round two to somewhere on day three based on his athleticism and, you know, who knows what the NFL is going to think of him, but, but I think Kincaid, you see, when you see a tight end put up that production in that game, right. That was a big game that wasn't coming against some, no, you know, some team that, you know, isn't a legit contender. It, It does raise the eyebrows. And for a tight end, when you put a performance like that, I think that, does open up some eyes because you just don't see games like that from tight ends at the college level, right? So so I think Kincaid's an interesting prospect. If, if I was going to guess right now, my guess is I still think he probably ends up going early day three, but I do think he could theoretically push himself into the mix to be considered somewhere in round three. Uh, but I could see this year it being a little bit of more of a early day three tight end range than, than last year we had that little mini run you know, late in day two. Uh, I'm not sure we get like five or six guys in the first three rounds. I could see a little bit less this year, and maybe then Kincaid is somewhere early on day three. But, you know, if teams are looking for, you know, pass catchers, you know, at the tight end position, he, he offers an intriguing skill set that some teams might think that he fits well with what they have currently on the roster.
1: Yeah, it was clearly his best game. And and again, just just from the highlights, he was pretty much unstoppable um you know to help help utah's passing attack there you know unless let me just do you know we we sometimes do that two-minute drill rapid fire you know the running backs are the running backs there's nothing entirely new there you know we saw a good game from tank bigsby it's always something nice to see right uh showing he still has it a little bit you know twenty one seventy nine and two you know it's you know with Auburn all you know kind of being a little bit of a train wreck seeing a good game come up here and there for Bixby is always nice to see you know Chris Rodriguez the name I highlighted here um you know I think it's only his second game back from from suspension or something but you know 30 for 196 and two again in that um you know big big Kentucky attack there um I I, you know if there's anything you want to kind of dig into I'm I'm happy to kind of you know, go ahead and and give ourselves a little bit more time for the NFL side of things, too, after hitting the Debbie watch list. Do you have anything that, you know, from a running back that you wanted to highlight?
0: Yeah, the only thing I'll say is, listen, Chris Rodriguez is a guy that me and you talked about. I personally like him better than a guy like Zach Charbonnet. I think that's a little bit hot takeish in terms of what's out there in, in terms of the Devi community. But I do like Rodriguez as a guy who I think would be an intriguing early date three pick, similar to where Damian Pierce went. You know, similar to where I know Brian Robinson snuck in right at the end of round three, but similar to how a team viewed Brian Robinson. I like Rodriguez for that kind of role, so I'm I'm intrigued by him. It was really nice to see Tank Bigsby, especially. You know, against Ole Miss, he was really that Auburn offense. So I think that kind of game re-elevates Tank Bigsby's stock a little bit as a guy that, yeah, warrants going somewhere on day two because of his skill set. And then while Quinshawn Judkins continued to impress, so did Zach Evans this past Mm -hmm. week, finally had – you know, a big game after a couple, you know, lackluster games over the last couple of weeks. Maybe it was injury related. Maybe it was junk kids related. Maybe it was a combination of both, but 21 carries 136 yards and a touchdown and a big win, uh, you know, and an impressive performance for Zach Evans there. So I thought Evans' performance and Bigsby, and I'll throw Eric Gray into the mix who continues to really produce this year for that, for that Oklahoma team. Uh, those are guys that I think were – Unlike the wide receivers where things are kind of up for grabs, I feel like the running backs are kind of solidifying, holding steady in terms of the guys that we thought were going to be the top guys. I think a lot of people's top eight, top tens in the running backs will have the same names and then juggle the order, where I don't think that's going to be the case at the wide receivers. I think the running backs have done a pretty good job, the top guys, at, at producing this year. And I think those are going to be in most people's, like, pick a number, top six, top eight, top ten. I think you're going to see a lot of similarity in terms of the names because I think most of the running backs have lived up to, uh, you know, what we expected and what the draft community and Debbie community expected. Most of them have lived up to the billing this year uh, or they're starting to get it going like Zach Evans, hopefully, and Tank Bigsby. Uh, I don't think there's as much uncertainty at the running back position as at the wide receiver.
1: Yeah, sort of. I, I mean, definitely on their your top tier and, and maybe with the names, but you might have to extend that all the way down to 15, 16. I mean, it's a giant middle class at the running back position vying for a very limited amount of day two draft capital, right? We know not 15 running backs are not going to go in day two. And I wouldn't be surprised if I had a dozen or plus graded that you know, I think worthwhile of that, especially with a guy like Chris Rodriguez, you know, who, who might just be like a souped up uh, Jerome Ford, you know, Eric Gray, you know, again, it, you know, we, we should have been down there because he had a big game. But, you know, part of the reason I'm still so hesitant to, you know, to highlight him significantly is because I don't know if he's doing enough, you know, to really climb my ranks. So the production is one thing, but it's still coming in, you know, a lot of open field, um, you know, and, and Oklahoma's doing a good job there. You know, scheming them out to that, but you know, it's it's still one of those ones where I'm not sure how well that's going to translate onto the NFL field, and so I still just have major concerns there.
0: I don't want to, and, I, wanna, and yeah, I will, look. and I will say, I, I don't think, I think Gray is going to be more of a guy that is firmly day great. I don't think we're looking at a day two grade on Eric Gray. I think what teams a what NFL teams will like about him is he's got a good athletic profile. He's a, a guy who can produce in the run game, be like a space player in terms of his running, but also is a good pass catcher. So I think a team will be intrigued by that. Maybe make him a kick returner as well as a pass mm-hmm. catching running back, a space back. So I think I think teams will look at him. You know, I just throw this out there because I mentioned his name before. But the, I think a team like the Texans who have Damien Pierce, but don't really have anything else, mm-hmm. right? Rex Burkhead a replaceable player. I could see a team who, who, or maybe even Washington if they were to, but they have McKissick. So maybe it's a bad example there, but a team like we'll say, we'll say Houston, right? If Damian Pierce is going to be the guy that they think is their lead guy for the, the short term here, Eric Gray is a good compliment to draft him in round four or round five as a guy who can make, do things differently than Damian Pierce. He's a better pass catcher. He's a better player in space. He can make people miss a little bit more athletic ability, but not going to be a guy who could be the bell guy. not a great interior runner. So I think a team will like him, but I'm not putting him in that top eight mix. I don't, I don't need, I, my guess is I'll have a day three grade on him in terms of, where I think he'll be drafted and probably should be drafted, because uh, I don't think he's that guy you're going to look at as like a focal point of an offense. I think he can be a role player in an offense and, and be a role in a, in a backfield more than the guy who could be like one of the, the main offensive weapons in terms of how an offense views him.
1: Yeah. If you want to put him in like a Travis Etienne style role, right. You know, with a good compliment, like James Conner. I mean, obviously you don't want to put round one draft capital for a guy who's, you know, not really a focal point of your offense. Um, you know, unless you're Jacksonville. Um, so I think that's way more appropriate. Right. Um, let me run through the, the Debbie slant just as sort of like a quick hits. Right. Um, you know, one thing to note drew Alar Hyped quarterback in the 2025 class. He came in in relief for uh, Sean Clifford during the Penn State Michigan game. A little bit of a blowout, but you know maybe we see you know Penn State realize that their season's on the cusp of kind of being lost a little bit. I mean, they'll still have bowls to fight for and everything, but you know they have a future to look forward to in Drew Ellar. So we might see a shift there. You know Devin Neal is just a guy I've been keeping my eye on. Obviously, he's he's a big name in the community there. But you know, twelve for eighty four and one—that's kind of a stat line he's had over the last few weeks. You know, so he's 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 playing out there. And Mario Williams, you know, one hundred and forty five yards for USC—he's he's emerging as sort of the number two. But I just want to do a, a little bit of a highlight profile on the Arizona pass catchers because um, because we had uh, Dorian Singer that I mentioned. A little bit last week he's still a guy i'm watching 24 class jacob cowing in this class and then we just had a breakout for uh tet mcmillan you know who's the the true freshman who had seven catches 132 yards and two touchdowns um you know he's kind of second in his class in receiving yards um and it's something again you know we talk about you know evan stewart and you know making having big games as true freshmen as something that we care about and pay attention to um so I think, you know, Tet McMillan is one of those names you've got to put on your radar. And then lastly, just one, one quick, um, you know, final drive drive by here with, with Quinn Ewers. Um, 17 of 26, 170 yards, three touchdowns. Like it's been, you know, just a few games for him, but the more he strings together, the more he's confirming priors and the more he's rising up in, in the eyes of, 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 you know, people grading out that 2024 class, which is looking really good, right? Drake, May, Caleb Williams, you know, Ewers is really um, making room for himself to be considered there. Um, you, Especially going to be excited going into next year.
0: And and I'll just jump in right there because you mentioned Ewers, right? We talked about this in the past, right? We know Ewers, May, and Caleb aren't eligible to that 2024 class. And if some of the guys we expected to maybe be 2023 guys go back and ever find their ceiling, Van Dyke, Mm -hmm. Anthony Richardson. All of a sudden now you're talking about, you know, where we thought this was going to be a really strong quarterback class. Maybe we're just looking at Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and then what people want to do with Will Levis and Hendon Hooker. All of a sudden it could be next year – with Williams and May and Ewers, and if Van Dyke and Richardson find their, you know, their upside and their ceiling if they go back to school, all of a sudden that could be a much stronger class. So I think I think it it can go either way. I think it depends on, you know, how the second half of the year plays out for somebody's toolsy developmental prospects of whether or not they go back, they go in. Uh, I think you can make the case, that, you know, Young and Stroud are right there with any two you're going to say for the following year, but then we don't know what else 2023 is going to bring yet. Right now, like if if the if the league is super high on Will Levis and they really think he's on the level of Young and Stroud, well, and that's the third guy who's going to be in the mech High, you know. But we already we already think we you know that three are going to be pretty high. You know, with Ewers, Drake May, and Caleb Williams probably in that 2024 class. But as we've seen in the past, right. By the time they get to that spot, a lot of things can change, right? We see we start with Spencer Rattler. We start with Sam Howell. So what we think we know right now or what we think we might know about that 2024 class could easily spin out a, a year from now. Uh, it can look very differently, which is part of the beauty of college football. It's part of the beauty of, of year-round kind of like doing what we do here at Saturday to Sunday to see the ebbs and flows of these, nothing is like you. We always say growth is not linear; it doesn't just keep going naturally. Uh, you know, from one game to the next, there's bumps, there's ups, there's downs. Uh, so it'll be fun to kind of follow these guys and, and kind of see where this plays out. Uh, let's spin this right over to the NFL side of things, and we'll, we'll hit on a little bit of a rookie report uh, for Week Six of the NFL season. Guys that I really wanted to talk about. Kent Walker in his first game is the lead ball carrier with, uh, you know, Rashad Penny, unfortunately, out for the year. 21 carries, 97 yards and a touchdown. Also chipped in with two catches. I mean, 23 touches. Seattle's playing much better than I think anybody expected them to, including, you know, even though their defenses at times have been bad this past week, they, they played pretty well. Maybe it was more the Cardinals, you know, lackluster offense. But Kent Walker is going to be a guy, or Ken Walker, if that's what he goes by now, He's going to be a guy that is going to see heavy workload this year. And where year one was always kind of up for debate in terms of how much value he would have as a rookie. I think he's going to end up being an RB two, And I think the sky is really high for where we should have him ranked moving forward. You know, listen, I personally think, I personally like Kent Walker more coming out of college than I like Javante Williams. And I wasn't as, bullish as some people by who who bumped Javante Williams right to the top you know tippy top of dynasty rankings but I will say if that's what people do with young running backs I'm not sure that Kenneth Walker shouldn't be buddy by the time this offseason rolls around in people's top six top eights top tens if that's what they were doing with Javante Williams last year you know they have Lockett and Metcalf there my guess is eventually there'll be a different quarterback but even even if we just take the quarterback situation out of it for right now, I don't think Javante Williams is this clear better runner than Kenneth Walker. I actually, like I said, I preferred Walker slightly coming out of college. I think he could handle a heavier workload. We've never seen Javante Williams handle a heavy workload, so I think I think Kenneth Walker ceiling really high on Kenneth Walker moving forward. Uh, I I would I would want him on my teams, and I'd I'd pay a, a pretty penny to get him because I think. He could be a functional pass catcher as well. Like I don't think he's going to be, you know, an integral part. But I think he's fine. I think he could be just as I think he could be Derrick Henry, who we've seen, you know, be fine when when they've used him in certain ways. I don't think he's going to be Nick Chubb, where he never gets utilized. Uh, So I thought it was impressive. And then let me jump in right
1: there too, just because you know I think I've got a little bit to elaborate on that. And um, you know, Ken Walker was my guy ever you know, ever since I got some eyes on him at Michigan state, you know, to start last year. Right. And then that's why that, that's what started our Debbie deep dive. Honestly, was our, our group chat about, you know, what's it, what is this Walker kid? Is he for real? And he's, I mean, you, there's highlights now. You, You can see it. He's showing some movement skills that he showed at Michigan state where he's instantly transitioning from downhill to a lateral movement in one plant of a foot. And it's not even a jump stop or a jump cut or anything, just, just, plant the foot and just he's making NFL defenders look absolutely ridiculous um they they can't they can't figure out where he's going to be where he's going it I mean it's phenomenal and you know the biggest question on on him was like oh okay well there's Seattle and there's maybe he's you know not the pass catcher right everybody thought Javante is going to be this you know big pass catcher for Denver and stuff too well you know ken walker's first role when penny was healthy was actually coming in a bit on third down and like helping out on third down you know down in distance and you know he's improved as a pass block he's actually pretty reliable there so you know i think he can play a true workhorse three down role for seattle and, and that's how he was used this last week so possibly you know if if that's what we see moving forward very possibly he could be a a top 10 dynasty running back. I mean, he, he already on faith was, was in my top 15 and, and sort of the last name in that tier two, where we have big, but older producers like Kamara or Dalvin cook or Aaron Jones. And, And he was kind of the last name in there that, you know, I had to, I had to make sure that he got his due and, and you know, where, where he shuffles within that tier and within that rank, I think is, is up for debate depending on what you need, but you know, phenomenal. And, well, I just love to see when the way a college player wins at the college level transitions immediately to the NFL level and, and it just all your doubts of, you know, can, can he carry that over to stiffer competition, you know, to, to the next level, all of those doubts just go away. Cause you're like, Oh, that's exactly how good he looked on the college field. He's looking that good on an NFL field. You know, this is, this is that guy. He's that guy. He can do it. He's going to be productive. He's going to be a good player.
0: Yeah. And 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 I think we're we're already seeing that in glimpses. And it just shows you though, right? Which is why dynasty rankings are truly a almost impossible task. Because before the season started, almost everybody probably had Najee Harris in their top five four running backs top five would you say that's a pretty safe assumption most people had him in their top five before the season completely started i would say most people probably had i had him at top eight. fives. i
1: had him at eight but for running backs, <laughs> yeah i think around there
0: okay so okay even we even if we say top eight even if we say most people had him in their top eight like right now we're only six weeks into the nfl season i think for anybody to to have watched the NFL this year, I don't think anybody, if they redo their updates, would have Najee Harris ahead of Kenneth Walker. Nobody. And I like Najee Harris coming out, but he just looks slow. Part of it's the offensive line in Pittsburgh, I get. But his his production last year was a lot of volume-based. And I think Kenneth Walker is just a more explosive player. I'm telling you, I think people who were all in on Javante Williams should be just as much all-in on Kenneth Walker. And I think there's – Kent Walker has shown the ability to be a bell cow. Javante Williams, that is more in theory that we have never seen yet. We didn't see it at UNC. We didn't see it last year for Denver. And there were no inclination that we were going to see it this year in Denver either. Uh, you know – But Ken Walker in his first game as the guy, 23 touches, right? I don't, besides that one game where maybe Javante Williams caught those like 11 passes, I don't think Javante Williams probably has had a game where, you know, he handled 23 touches or maybe a game if Melvin Gordon was out last year or got injured. So, Scott, stock up on Ken Walker. I I think he's a guy that is going to be quickly in most people's top 10 dynasty running back ranks and and well deservingly uh, for that. Brian Robinson took the starting job last Thursday night from Antonio Gibson. 17 carries, 60 yards, and a touchdown. This is my take on Brian Robinson. I like him as a player. I think he's got a little bit more juice for a big guy than you would. I think he's got quicker feet than you might think. Late third round pick. I kind of feel like Brian Robinson, Damian Pierce, it, they're going to, I think they could be good fantasy pieces as RB2s in that. RB 16 to RB 22 range-ish or or so, if they're getting heavy workload, they're going to be a little game script dependent. They're going to be a little touchdown dependent. And they also don't have that high-level draft capital that makes you feel a little bit safer for Dynasty. But if Washington could ever figure out the quarterback situation, they got some good playmakers there. I'd prefer Pierce to Robinson based on situation a little bit. Uh, but I think Brian Robinson. I think he's going to be their guy. I, I think Antonio Gibson. We talked about him last week, so we don't have to get into him again. I think Antonio Gibson's out. Right? He's he's. I don't think he, I don't think he has much of a a, a long term role there with Washington. I think he's more of a complimentary player. They want Robinson. I mean, the fact that he just came back from what he came back from, and by the second game he was active, he was their clear cut starter. I think speaks volumes on either how much they like him, how much they don't like you know, Antonio Gibson. Uh, so I think that's something to keep a close eye on. Do you have any thoughts on Brian Robinson before we we, we touch upon a couple of pass catchers? Oh, I think
1: you encapsulated it really well. I'm just excited. I mean, he he came back from, you know, just that freak, you know, I mean, you never want to see somebody, you know, in a, a victim like that. But um, I'm glad, you know, I didn't know how serious it would or wouldn't be. We had no, there wasn't a lot of information out there. About what its potential impact was. And it, I'm just grateful that it, it doesn't look like it's going to be an, uh, just a little blip to start the career. And, and it's already behind him is what it looks like. So thankful for that. Let's, let's run through it and we'll do a, a quick highlight on, you know, three pass catchers here. Um, Taekwon Thornton for New England here. Um, he, he got it done on both the, the ground and through the air, he, you know, con- contributing kind of both both ways all the way through the phases about 50 yards only but two touchdowns so big game there wandale robinson comes in he only got 14 snaps so eased into it but he was targeted heavily three you know when he was there so three three targets on his limited snaps 37 yards a touchdown you know maybe even more impressive for a rookie daniel bellinger's out there and he's he's out there every play and he's he's a pretty integral pass catch uh Pass catching outlet for for Daniel Jones, five catches, thirty-eight yards, one touchdown. We brought it up earlier. Your Giants are five and one. You know, Paul, I'm just gonna let you have the floor here.
0: Well well for Daniel Ballinger, like realistic expectations we gotta put on Daniel Ballinger, as good as he's been. It's impressive for any fourth round player to become an instant starter. It was mostly done out of necessity, but he is he is ran with that opportunity. He He's a integral part of their red zone offense, partially because they're lacking a lot of other playmakers for sure. Uh, but what I will say about a guy like Daniel Ballinger is he's never going to be a top 10, like top six, top eight type tie that he's never going to be even in that second tier where we have guys like Goddard and Hawkinson and Fryer mood, but he could develop into, I don't think, yes, Daniel Jones is not Josh Allen. We know that, but we understand that it's the same scheme. It's a similar scheme. As, as much as people were excited about Dawson Knox, there could come a time in New York that people are as excited about the, the Giants offense if they find the right quarterback down the line that I do think Bellinger could be a guy who's a tight end too for now, who plays a lot on the field a lot with upside, right? He was one of those guys that had sneaky athletic testing at the combine. We didn't really expect that because San Diego State asked him to block so much. So I do think he's a guy that like, if you tell me in a couple years, people view him in fantasy, like they kind of view Dawson Knox to start this year as like a fringe tight end one, tight end two on a good offense. If that's where hopefully this Dable, you know, you know, offense is going to lead down the line. I could see that. And this is a fourth round guy that probably could still be gotten in most dynasty leagues, probably dirt cheap. So I, I think he's an interesting guy that to, to maybe think about if you're whacking in a tight end league or maybe you got an older guy, you just kind of get him, put him on your team. You can play him during the bye week. He's out there enough that he could, he could be one of those three for 30 guys. And if he happens to find the end zone, great. You you get your 12 points and you're super excited about it. So he's done a good job there. Taquan Thornton, uh, You know, it's nice to see him be integrated into the offense. I mean, we kind of joked for a while about like Patricia and Joe Judge leading that offense, but they're starting to figure some things out, whether it's those two, whether it's Belichick taking a more hands-on approach. I mean, they have Bailey Zappi win football games, they have the run game going. And then Taekwond Thornton comes back, they get him three touches in the ground, you know, in terms of manufacturing touches there. We know he's an explosive vertical player. You know, Greg Cosell loved loved Taekwond Thornton. He liked him more than Chris Olave, and 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 Greg Costello is not just out there making like proclamations, you know, to try to stir attention. Like he could care less about that. Like he just goes what he sees on the film. And there was other people that really liked Taquan Thornton a lot too. So this is a guy that that had some people who really liked their game. the the Patriots are starving for an outside wide receiver to develop there. So I think Taequann Thornton is a really interesting, interesting dynasty stash or even a guy get now before he has more of a, you know, a a bigger role in that offense. Cause I do think we always make fun of the Patriots in their lack of drafting at the wide receiver position, but they obviously did really like him where they took him, right? They took him pretty high in that, you know, pretty high in terms of where wide receivers were going. So I, I I'm intrigued by Thornton. And then, one, though, Robinson, obviously we've talked about him a lot here, but, you know, some of it's a necessity. But right now, the passing game, he's going to be the integral part of it unless there is as Tony can actually get on the football field. Uh, and even that, like, I think once he's fully acclimated and – you know, playing 80% in the snaps, which I think that'll be maybe as soon as this week, he's going to see a lot of targets and then they'll start expanding upon that adding the jet sweeps, adding some of the offensive wrinkles. You know, you're going to see some Saquon Wildcat with Wondell in the backfield. There's already been some whispers that they have a package with those two guys. Uh, so, uh, you know, we know my take on Wondell. It was nice to see him get back out there. We talked about this two weeks ago, right? I said, go get Wondell now if you can get him on your in any of your leagues. Because the Giants are hurting that wide receiver and there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And right now they, they do as good of a job as anybody scheming and manufacturing things for offensive players. I don't think that's going to go away with the Kafka Dable, you know, pairing. Uh, and I think Wandell is going to be the recipient of a lot of those easy looks after the catch plays. And, and we're going to see it actually materialize to maybe some, some legit fantasy production, uh, for this surprising Giants team.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, Wandale, He, I don't know if it'll if he'll be up there at eighty percent as soon as this weekend, because because it did look like he, you know, had a little bit of rust. He was knocking off. I think he dropped a big, you know, kind of an easy pass right in right into the his kind of face mask. Um, you know, so I I think it's just going to be. I want to see him take the steps that we saw all of these other rookie wide receivers take. He's a little bit behind him, about a month, but due to injury. But there's no doubt that that opportunity's there for him to take. And I think he will be an integral part of that offense sooner rather than later, you know, and just as far as Tyquan Thornton goes, well, you know, it, it was great to see him integrated in and, and we made fun of new England a lot this off season. And I think part of it was trying to install a zone scheme for <laughs> an offensive line. That's run cap super effectively and cap runners, um, you know, which I, I think, yeah, maybe we'll just transition that to the, the dynasty stock report, you know, with you know Ramondre Stevenson having a huge game, you know, nineteen for seventy-five and two. But New England has figured it out. They they've gone to what works, right? Like they they experimented, they tried a couple things, and you know they've picked what works. They've cut what doesn't, and they look like a pretty well-oiled team. You know, nobody's nobody's out there as a superstar, but everybody's doing their role effectively exactly how they need to do it. And that's, that's Patriots football. Um, you know, Mermondary is, you know, the backfield right now. I mean, Harris is hurt. Harris is a good back. Harris will be back sooner than later. Um, you know, we just talked about Kenneth Walker being a potentially top 10, 15 dynasty running back. You know, it sounds like, you know that might be in in your thoughts as well. Why don't we talk Ramondre before we we discuss a couple twenty twenty class players?
0: Yeah, I I think Ramondre is not. Listen, part of the part of the thing that'll hold people back from ranking Ramondre high is the thought that New England will bring somebody else in to replace Damian Harris, and I get that they might well do that. I'm not going to sit here and say Ramondre Stevenson is going to you know, be a legit Bell Cow like the Giants Hugh Saquon right now, or pick another running back that but that might also not be needed to be a legitimate top fifteen running back, right? He's not he's obviously capable in the passing game. Like right now he's literally the guy who 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 is their best pass catching running back. And we know he's a good between the tackles runner. He 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 can he can kick it outside. So he's capable of playing on all three downs. I don't see a scenario where Damian Harris is back on that team next year. They drafted multiple running backs last year. They have Ramondre Stevenson. They'll use that money and assets to go to, you know, for other positions. So if you look at it, I think Ramondre Stevenson, you know, two more years on his rookie deal, I think he's going to be the guy there. You know, they'll mix somebody else in. Maybe next year it's Pierre Strong a little bit. Maybe it's somebody else. But but they probably will go with what they have on their roster for the most part, just without Damien Harris. And they have a good offensive line. They have a good scheme. And Ramondre is a good player that just wasn't heavily utilized in college, but had a lot of people with Landzurline. A lot of people thought he had day two draft capital. Like they really liked him. So what we're seeing out of him. He deserves to be, like, we have all these guys that theoretically we want to believe are better dynasty assets, like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, James Conner, Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, some of these are older, but, but like, Ramondre Stevenson should be ahead of all these guys. Like, once I update, you know, my ranks, Ramondre Stevenson's going way up there for me because we're going to see, Damian Harris is probably going to miss a decent amount of time here. Romandre is going to be an RB2, I think, when when the dust settles this year for sure. And we'll see if 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 how high he goes. And then I think we're locked into a guy who next year, when, when redraft season comes around and stuff, he's going to be a guy that's drafted as like a RB15 to RB17 type range. So I think that's kind of where we're looking at for him. I don't see that really shifting. I think he's a talented player in a team that has a good old line, likes to run the ball. Uh, I I don't I wouldn't be overly worried about them bringing another guy, and yeah, they will. They'll use somebody else, but Ramondre has pre-down capabilities. uh That's the thing that we like to see. It's not like they're going to pull him off the field on every third down. They might like another guy, but just like we think Kenneth Walker can play on three downs Ramondre Stevenson's already showed he can play on pre-downs, so I, I think that keeps him as a really interesting guy, and I don't think he's being valued correctly yet in the dynasty scope of things. Cause I think people always have this little stigma about new England running backs. And I, I think it might be t- somebody, a smart owner might be able to try to take advantage of people thinking that the new England backfield is always going to be a little bit of a quagmire, a little bit of a mess uh, and, and might be able to get him a little bit less than maybe what his value should be. Well, like let's looking at my rankings, how to
1: update them in real time, you know, and this is kind of how I think about things. I Ramondre you, even if he's got the backfield to himself next year, or maybe there's Pierre Strong or, you know, it, it's going to be a one-two-year thing, right? We're not talking about a window like we saw Nick Chubb carry for Cleveland, right, or, um, you know, Saquon in in New York. And, you know, we're, we're talking kind of short-term windows here. And, you know, with that in mind, you know, there's guys who I still think have a couple-year windows of production left. You, you've got those Austin Ecklers, right, or you've, you've got the – Aaron Jones out there. Um, You know, there's Josh Jacobs, who I really like, and David Montgomery, who profile as as free agents who can actually lead a backfield, maybe not split it. And then you kind of go into a a tier of players where it's A.J. Dillon, James Robinson, Travis Etienne, Kareem Hunt. You know, these are guys that, you know, they're playing roles in their offense extremely well, you know, maybe sharing a little bit, depending on how well that team is playing and who they're playing like i think in that realm is about where where they slot in hey that's i mean i'm aj dylan is everybody's darling this offseason right travis Etienne is somebody people drafted with a first round pick who's i still think in a quagmire with james robinson right kareem hunt right he's an extremely talented player he just you know has another committee Committee guy along with him. That's kind of, I think, the realm of where I see Ramondre Stevenson. I don't know if you, you know, and there's tons of guys that are, you know, have been kind of ahead of them going into the year. The Antonio Gibsons, like you, you know, you said the the Leonard Fournette's going to drop off. James Connor's going to drop off. Cam Akers is gone, right? Like, you know, all of those players, you know, are going to be dropping behind them too. Um, I, you know, I don't know if there's anything else you you want to do a final final conclusion, or, you know, I can roll us to the 2020 class too.
0: No, I mean, the one thing I'll say is I think some of those guys you talked about, yeah, I'd still prefer Aaron Jones, but I'm not sure I'd prefer AJ Dillon anymore to Ramondre Stevenson. I'm not sure. I definitely would prefer Ramondre over David Montgomery, but I've just never been a huge Montgomery guy. I think he's going to be on a new team. I'm not sure he's ever going to see the workhorse role that he saw in Chicago. I would take my chances with Stevenson for two more years in New England. Then Montgomery at an unknown situation. I love Tony Pollard. But are the are the mm-hmm. Cowboys fully going to give him the role that I want? Maybe not. No. Maybe he's going to leave and go somewhere else and get that role. So I would, right now, as much as I like Pollard, I'd have Ramondre over him. Mm-hmm. To me, Connor's a no brainer. Definitely Ramondre over him. Now, listen, once we start, once we get the new infusion of next year's class, it's hard to keep him probably in that fifteen or sixteen range. I would prefer Josh Jacobs. I think Josh Jacobs is one of the most underrated running backs in the league. I love that he's finally. Finally getting the attention that he deserves and they're finally using him as the guy who warranted going in round one of the NFL draft that year, that he's gonna put them in a really tough spot of they they declined this fifty year option. What is Vegas gonna do about him? Uh but I would put Josh Jacobs over, ahead of him. But some of those other guys I think I would slot in Ramondre over them, uh unless and, things and unless things Jake, you know jacobs is playing out of his mind right uh, yeah and and just to give a little bit of context of like
1: where that is as far as numbers go right you know jones is sitting at you know 16 for me right behind my tier two of you know trailed by kenneth walker you know aj dylan take it or not but josh jacobs he's kind of sitting at 19 maybe he's he pumps up he's 17 right and okay so maybe a guy like derrick henry who's above him falls out due to age but we're gonna have Bijan John Robinson and Jameer yeah. Gibbs and everybody coming in over him too. So he's going to be that, you know, mid high twenties kind of thing, you know, maybe low twenties, you know, when it's all said and done, but but that's about where we'll probably, where he'll about settle in for me, I think for the next two or three years, let me, let me transition to us. Cause you know, we're talking about shuffling rankings and, and there's a lot of shuffling to do, right? One of the other guys that I think I, I have a, a pretty optimistic viewpoint on about his talent is JK Dobbins. But, you know, here he is, he's working his way back and he's out of the game because his knee stiffened up on the turf. You know, CEH is there and, and Edward Zolaire was, you know, everybody was pretty excited about starting him. He was always scoring touchdown. He was getting him 20 fantasy points. And once those TDs evaporated, right, once he stopped scoring touchdowns, he's leaving a massive hole in your starting lineup. He, he's getting nine carries for you know, a handful of yards and and nothing through the the passing game. And then Cam Akers just out, I mean, in a a week, right? Like I have always thought Henderson was still potentially the better back, but maybe not the the one with the most upside for the Rams, you know, and and I think even Sean McVay was somewhat committed to trying to get Akers to work for them in that offense. I mean, you know, just, just the past week. He had all 13 carries for the Rams on the ground. You know, Henderson had nothing. He had no no carries on the ground. He had a couple targets and, and catches. And then, just bombshell this weekend where you know Acres is inactive, not at practice, not at, not active for the game. He's on his way out. We have no idea what's going on. You know, what is this personal thing? You know, is he upset with the team's utilization of him? I'm not sure because he got all the work the week before um you know where do we even put him it's just it's this big shuffling of and, it, and it's a reminder too like we can be really excited about this upcoming 2023 class we were and even for a while for a year or two that 2020 class looked phenomenal those first two years they were hot commodities trying to get your hands on jk dobbins trying to get your hands on you know edwards Alaire, and and honestly like from that expectations when we're looking at it like two to three years later it's kind of disappointed and I don't know that you could look at any of these players and be really excited about what their outlook is moving forward. I'm still burning a candle for JK Dobbins. It, it just, it makes me really sad to talk about him in a negative fashion because I think his play style was one that I was just, I I was absolutely in love with him as a runner coming out. Um, You know, but, but the reality is a reality that he's not, He's not doing that on the field right now. And players like Kenneth Walker are, right? Um, players like Ramondre are. Um, so Paul, like, what are we what do we make of sort of the scraps of this 2020 class that they're shorn in tatters and you know this once perfect it's like a I'm, i mean I'm, thank I'm god thank god,
0: we, thank god we still got the andrew swift and Jonathan taylor so i know like right a complete lost cause i'm but- sitting
1: here with like my duvet and it, you know this is perfect white awesome duvet and it just like looks so good and then the dog comes sleeps on it and then you know it's all this hair and it's kind of like torn in little places and it's all lumpy now and Goodness, I mean that's the 2020 class. Is is this this sort of three year old duvet that needs an upgrade?
0: Yeah, and and here's the thing. I love J.K. Dobbins that year. DeAndre Swift was my one, and J.K. Dobbins was my two before Jonathan Taylor came into the picture as my number three. And but here's the thing that you know we just talked about Ramondre. For me, Ramondre's got to be ahead of all three of these guys, and the reason for it is we know what I think Ramondre's role is going to be. We don't know if Dobbins is ever going to get back to that player. Like he had one of those where it wasn't just the ACL. It wasn't just clean. It was other stuff, right? And we see guys come back from ACLs really fast now. When they when he wasn't back for preseason, when he was, wasn't back for week one and week two, and then he was on like this snap count, and now the knee was, you know, kind of like flared up on him yesterday or whatever. You know, we have to realize these contracts for these second year guys, uh, second round guys, it's only four years. J.K. Dobbins is going into his last year of his contract next year. Are we, would we be surprised if the Ravens, who have had no run game the last two years besides Lamar, don't invest in one of these fun backs? Even if it's in day two, Blake Corum, you know, right? Those type of guys. Well, Gus
1: Edwards is coming back too. What, like... Are, are we gonna see a situation where, you know, like Henderson in LA who was outproducing Akers, this this guy that's kind of been left for dead and forgotten, you know, James Robinson to the Travis Etienne in drafts this year, you know, it, are we gonna see Gus Edwards be outproducing J.K.
0: Dobbins? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's out of the room of possibility for the rest of this year. And then you're talking about him going into his final year, and I don't they're sure they're definitely not gonna re-sign him before the year starts, right? So then unless he was unbelievable in his fourth year, then maybe they'd consider it. But the truth of the matter is, he's had a lot of injuries. It's a position that people are very hesitant to give second contracts to, especially to injured players. They could go get somebody else. It's a loaded group. That might come as soon as this draft class, not wait till he's no longer with the team. So there's so many paths where Dobbins is the one that I felt best about like six weeks ago but there's so many paths where Dobbins never materializes into the player that we thought he could after that first year I don't think Clyde Edwards declare I don't think the Chiefs are going to pick up his fifth year option so just like you know and I don't think he's going to have this tremendous year like Josh Jacobs is having next year that's going to force the issue I just don't think that's the player he is and and who's the other one? Oh, and Ken Akers I mean, whether it's the injury, whether some other stuff's going on, like he doesn't look like the explosive player that, that we saw a couple years ago. And is he really going to fall into a situation that's that that's going to ask him to be the lead guy? Not really sure. So all of those guys would have been far and away over every New England running back prior to this season started. And now I don't see a scenario where if people are being honest with themselves and taking out. The allure of how much we liked them a couple years ago, how anybody really could put CEH, uh, you know, Cam Akers or J.K. Dobbins ahead of a guy like Ramondre, who's been healthy, who's producing, who probably has the New England job for the next two years as least lead of that job, Uh and running backs, should we really be thinking more than two to three years? I mean, I don't even know if three years should should be in play. It almost should be almost two years, right? Because it's just, these things just change so dramatically and so quick at the running back position. And we've seen these guys go from darlings that we all wanted on our team to guys now that don't have a lot of value in, in terms of dynasty right now. And hopefully, you know, Hopefully somebody can turn it around. You know, I'm hoping it's still Dobbins. Maybe Acres can go somewhere else and get a fresh start, and he can find his way. And maybe we'll eventually see Claude Edwards, you know, live up to the potential. But but I think any of those scenarios, it's more it's more unlikely than it is likely that we see any of those things happen. And I don't think anybody would have thought that you know as excited as we were about that not that long ago in the, in the dynasty community.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I know you've got the play go, going through the house and and I'm sure the dog to walk and and all the chores to do. Um and then end of a Monday night football to catch. Anything, anything, uh, any final parting thoughts for us, Paul?
0: No, I, I think we did a good job there talking about the running backs a little bit, reshuffling the ranks. I'm I hoping to, you know, get in there again. I know I had updated him last week, but there's still things that want to tinker, especially looking at the running back position, kind of as we talked through on here a little bit and, and keeping up with dynasty ranks is tricky because I do feel like one week in the NFL, you could feel fi- like you could, mm-hmm. you could you can make wholesale changes from one week mm-hmm. to the next, which is not really ideally how you should be doing it. But so much, I feel like impacts and changes things so quickly, uh, you know, that you you are basing it a lot on situation and, and stuff like that. More than like when we're just doing the draft eligible ranks, it's just like, okay, watch the film. You know, what's who's the guy with the best traits you think could translate. It's a little bit different when you're talking dynasty rankings, but it's fun to do this. Uh, it keeps us, you know, keeping those ranks up to date, I think it's fun talking it over. People love, you know, interacting on, on Twitter with that stuff. So please, any dynasty related questions, do not hesitate. Reach out to Jeff or I on Twitter. Love, love to uh, talk to you about that. Uh, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, please get over to the website. SS Football is the quickest and fastest way to get there. Check out the premium content tab. And for $9.99, you get access to all of our premium notebooks, the draft. Uh, the scouting notebook, the rankings notebook with all our different style rankings, the scouting notebook has all our scouting profiles, and then obviously in April, the draft projections notebook as well. Jeff, any final thoughts on your end before we close it up?
1: No, I just, you know, I, I look back at my rankings. I think we had, I had them up as we talked. It's They're two weeks old, and they already look like trash <laughs> yeah I mean, so that's it's, to, it's
0: almost like every every like seven to ten days like you can do some major major, major updates it, it's wild uh and we'll continue to do that for people who are uh you know subscribers to the premium notebooks uh you, you will see those changes uh you know shortly well, uh in those yeah. as well one final thought just just you know nothing with players or
1: draft or anything like that but from an nfl perspective I mean, this year, I, I said it was a topsy-turvy weekend, right? I, I mean, we had the Jets win, the Giants won, the Falcons won, the Seahawks beat the Cardinals. Like, all of these teams that we thought, you know, might might be terrible are showing up to play. And, and the parody in the NFL is, right now, is just, um, I, it's really exciting. I, I mean, to me, that's the storyline of the season so far. Not some, Not something like, kansas city buffalo which was a great game and all but i think i think the parody in the nfl is stealing headlines right now and it just it's got me super excited um just just to see how this the rest of this season you know plays out i think it's one where you know fans are so tempted to react on a week-to-week basis and if you do that you'll lose your sanity this year you just have to take a patient approach you know same thing with the 49ers i'm saying like they lost to atlanta but you know, it's really about who's who survives through the first you know, half of the year and how well they start playing in the second half of the year. That that's going to be, you know, what really starts differentiating. And, and that's what, you know, we see good teams do that. We see bad teams fail to do that. And coaching is a big part of it. And it, you know, credit for the Giants, like it seems like they've got a great coach to lead them through. They're going to be legit
0: all year. Yeah, it, it, it's fun. You know, who would have thought the Rams and the Bucks would be where they are and the Giants, you know, as one team, you know, be where they are. And you mentioned San Francisco and Atlanta. Like, Atlanta's played pretty good this year. They could even have more wins than they have, and they're doing it with a little smoke and mirrors too, get trying to maximize the most out of Mariota, heavy run game. Like, they haven't really gotten the best out of Kyle Pitts yet. Drake London had a couple good moments. But it's not like he's dominating just yet in that offense. So it's not
1: crazy. There's these two high shells, right? That's 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 your base defense now. And you know what is Atlanta doing? They're running the crap out of the ball. What is you know what is Seattle doing? They're running the ball. What is New York doing? Like they're barely passing the ball. They don't have any receivers to throw to, right? Like I don't know. It just it's um, it 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 has just created as as teams have geared up to stop the top offenses, the top teams in the league. All of these these other, you know, the Atlantas of the world, the Houstons with Damian Pierce, you know, have been able to to come and step to the plate and say, hey, you know, this is how we're built. We don't have a quarterback that's going to sling it. So we're going to bully the ball. And and teams aren't adjusting to that. It, you know, it's, so it's fascinating. You know, like, like San Francisco isn't adjusting to, at, you know, Atlanta's, they don't have the personnel. Like who's, I'm, San Francisco's injured right all over the place but even then you know san francisco has the better roster and um and they didn't step up to you know to be able to play that game right and and they don't you know teams aren't don't have they're 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 formulating the answer for buffalo for kc and green bay right like they're formulating the answer to green bay and we're, we're seeing green bay fail to be able to do anything with it and um you know, and then these other teams are just able to kind of take advantage to say, "Hey, hey, here's our, here's our spot. Let let's steal some wins. Uh, Let let's build a program. Let let's get some momentum." I
0: don't know. I yeah, you know, it's fun. It's, it, it, it it's fun because the uncertainty is why at times we love college football, right? Because you know we can go in and Tennessee can knock off Alabama and Utah can beat USC, right? And and we could have these great games and. We're, we're seeing some of these unexpectedness like no one expected Atlanta to be San Francisco this week nobody expected Tampa Bay to lose to Pittsburgh right nobody expected the Giants to beat Baltimore and like these things are happening more in the NFL now and it makes for a, a fun product for sure uh, and it's fun to talk about it here each and every week with you as always so on behalf of Jeff on behalf of our sound tech engineer David Nacano and myself thank you for joining us and we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.